Good morning, family. I won't read anything into good morning. Actually, we do like at school. Do mela muretishi khadi? Okay, that didn't work either. Morning, family. Morning, there we go. It's so good to be with you today. Um, and uh, right now, the person that is sharing from Open Doors will be with us later. They're sharing with some of the children also. So some of your kids may come home with some really just exciting ideas and thoughts and just having learned some things. We are busy with our series on the book of Hebrews, and we're talking about having our eyes fixed on Jesus from Hebrews 12, where it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And today we want to consider his un changing nature, and we're going to spend time in the three chapters of the book of Hebrews, 5, 6, and 7, and again, it's not possible to work through all of it, so I'm going to just share with you some of the main thoughts and ideas and uh, what is captured for us in that portion of Scripture, Hebrews 5, 6, and 7. So if you want to so long, you can go to Hebrews 5 in your Bible, and uh, we're going to jump right in there. But can I pray this morning just for the time, our time in the Word together? Can I just offer that up to the Lord also? Father... I thank you for the word. Thank you for the scripture. Thank you for divine inspiration and the way that you delivered this amazing content to us so that we can get to know you. And I pray that today, Lord, as we read, as we consider, as we meditate together as a community on this portion of scripture, that you will quicken it to our hearts and that you will feed us, that you will sustain us and that you will bring change about in our lives through your word. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you know that to change in life is difficult? I'm not talking about changing your hair color because that seems to be quite easy for some people. Not for me so much, but some people it seems like they can do it very regularly. No, I'm not talking about changing your deodorant or changing you know, the car you drive. I'm talking about real change. Have you experienced that it's difficult to change? As a family, we've been trying to change the way we eat. Uh, and uh, so we're trying to change our diet a little bit and adopt a bit more of a Mediterranean style of eating, which means basically olive oil. Lots and lots of olive oil. But uh, what I'm learning is if you want to change the way you eat, it's not just what you eat that has to change, it's what you buy that has to change. It's how you make the food that has to change. There's a whole system that has to change if you want to change something like changing the way you eat. And that's often why change is difficult because it's not just the thing that you want to change, it's the whole system that supported what you used to do that has to change to support what you now want to do. Right here in our church, we have a, a constant battle going on. It's a little bit of warfare. There's two groups, particularly in our staff team. We have two groups of people, and we often end up in conflict with one another. These two groups is those that believe life is better with Microsoft Windows PCs, and those that believe life just makes a whole lot more sense if you're working with an Apple device, an Apple OS. And I promise you, it's almost every week, somewhere this division of opinion will pop up and we will have a discussion. And there are those among us that are convinced that PCs are better. I pray for them. <laughs> Perhaps I'm giving away to you right now which side of the line I fall on. 
We have staff members that when they need a device, it has to be a PC or an Android device. And then there are those of us that have converted to the light. <laughs> and we know, Ben's one of my cohort friends with me, we know that life is better with Apple OS. So we have, you know, we work with iPads. Amen? Amen. Amen. Luanda, you're with me. Amen. And we have this constant battle. Now, the real difference is not the device. It's not the screen. It's not the, what is the difference? It's, these are two completely different systems of operation. And that function differently. So in my own household, I have two people that went to the dark side. And they've got Android devices. And so if I ever need one of their phones, and I say, just give me your phone. And then I give it to me, and I'm, I don't know what to do with this phone. I don't know how to open it. I don't know. I, I just, it's like useless for me. Then I'm like, why are you so stupid? Why did you do this? And just give me my phone back. Or as far as I know, and, and I, I forgot to really check this, but it's like, I don't know if you know that, if, I think it's true that when you work on a PC, a Microsoft-based PC, or whether you work on an Apple device, you, we scroll differently, don't we, on the trackpad. I mean, Apple people, we, if we want to move down a list, we scroll up. It makes a lot of sense. If you're a Microsoft person, I think you scroll down, which is just silly. <laughs> now, right here in front of me sits two of my friends, Neil and Ben, and Neil's on the one side and Ben is on the other side. But systems in life determine so much of how we do and what we do things. And if you really want to change, it's the system that you operate in that often needs to change. And that's hard. So how many of you have at work, for instance, had to learn a new system? Change your financial system or your reporting system or this software. And there's a period of time where everybody's like, why are we doing this? Let's just go back to the old way because we all knew what to do, what was expected of us, and how to do it. And there's a period of time where nobody's happy because you're having to learn a new system. And it's hard. And it, we so often, when we have to grow into a new system, just want to say, I just want to go back to the old. Now, I'm, I'm using that to illustrate what is happening here in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7. What the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's talking to us and what, you have, what will help you as you read through the scripture because it's quite challenging and we will see that now when we read it is he's saying to them, you have changed from one system to a different system. Don't go back to the old system. As foreign as it feels for you now, as challenging as this new system of operation and way of doing things feels, don't go back to the old system. There's a reason you left the old and you have come to the new. And just because you're frustrated a little bit in the new and struggling with the new, and it means you might forget the problems you had with the old, don't go back to the old. And so let's jump in with that little bit of background. Hebrews 5, verse 5 to 6. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So, the, 
the author of Hebrews here gives a name to the system that Jesus represents and is operating in. And he calls this order, we can use the word system, perhaps it's a word we're more comfortable with, the system, the system of the priesthood of Melchizedek. And he says Jesus is, is, represents this new system. Now this is an interesting space to be in. Because who is this Melchizedek? What is he talking about? What is he referencing when he says Jesus represents or is in the new system of the order of Melchizedek? Now to understand that, we have to go to Genesis 14. Now if you're following our Bible reading plan, then you probably did in the last week, two, three, depending on where you are in the reading plan, you read through this. Genesis 14. How many of you doing well with your Bible reading plan at the moment? I was up to date up until Friday. Now I'm like a day behind, so I've got some catching up to do. Are you enjoying it? I find it's fantastic. It's wonderful. And if you're not part of it, please join us. You know, just go and be part of our Bible reading plan on the U version of the Bible and uh, just do it with us. In Genesis 14, we read the story of Abraham, who's now living. Uh, in the part of the world where God is leading him to. And um, within that area, as you know in the story, if you know it, you're somehow familiar with, his, his nephew Lot's also living there. Lot's living in the area of the city of Sodom. And um, a battle arises where some kings rally together and they attack the city of Sodom and some other places around. And they conquer the city and they carry off a lot of the spoils of the city and some of the people of the city. Amongst the people that they carry off after this battle is Lot, the nephew of Abraham. So Abraham gathers a group of uh, an army together, and he goes and attacks these kings that have conquered the city of Sodom and other spaces, and he, and he beats them. And then he takes back the spoils to the cities where, that, he, that he has now rescued, and their people, and his cousin, he restores them back to the cities where they were. So after the battle is done and, it's, and he's conquered, and he's now on his way home. On his way home, he passes by the city or this town, this, this place that is called Salem. And we read about this in Genesis 14, verse 18. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. So this is an interesting character. He's a little bit of a mystery to us. He is both a king and a priest in the service of God. And this is not common, it's not usual. Normally the kings and the priests were separate entities, separate functions. But here we have a guy who's both. Now, this is an interesting thing because it's one of those places where the Bible purposefully tells us very little. Now, if you've done our, uh, our version. Bible reading plan, then you would have seen these like little videos that explain some of the things to us. It's very helpful. They, when they talk about how do you read the Bible, then they say this, for instance, the Bible is written in a time where people didn't want to know as much detail about things as we do want to know today. Generally, the modern era, if you read something or want to understand something, you want to know the details. The Bible, there's a lot of detail it just doesn't give us. And so you read a story like this and you go, who's this king? Where did he come from? And it doesn't give you any detail. Just mentions it. The little detail it gives you, it's important. 
Those are the things you must pick up on. So it's not about what is not being said that you must worry about. It's focus on what you know, what it tells you about this character. But this character is introduced in the scripture and as the author of Hebrews now deals with him, and there's actually more that is said in Hebrews than there is said in Genesis about him. But as the author of Hebrews, why is he using this character? This sort of mysterious, like phantom kind of person almost. Because this missing detail actually tells us a lot. And what we do know about him is important. He's saying that, when you see Jesus, don't think Jesus is the same system as what you have been used to in the Hebrew Jewish way of relating to God. Jesus is a whole different system. And that's very important to remember. Because remember, the book of Hebrews is written to a, a bunch of believers living in Rome at the time, undergoing difficulty, persecution, 30 years after Christ, more or less. Many of them are starting to doubt whether Jesus is the way to go. They're starting to feel the pressure. They're wanting to fall back from Jesus. And many of them want to return to their Jewish Hebrew roots and go back. So to these people who does have some understanding of this Melchizedek, he uses this picture to create for us an understanding of how the two systems differ. How the syst what is the system of religion and faith and how to relate with God that is represented in the Hebrew Jewish Old Testament based faith? And what is this new system that Jesus has come in the order of Melchizedek? So I'm going to just draw some distinctions out for you from scripture that we know. This is not everything, but just to give us a bit of a working understanding. So in the Old Testament, we had a system which was called the Levitical system. This system was put in place by God to teach the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, the Hebrews, how to relate to him. And it had a very good purpose. It was beginning to show them who God is and, and how do they deal with the truth that they have broken relationship with God, that they are no longer in right standing with God, that they have failed and that they have rebelled against God, how do they begin to relate to him again and restore that relationship? So this Levitical order was set up. And this is a system. Let's talk about just some of the differences between this system and the system of the, of the order of Melchizedek. First of all, in origin they are different. The Levitical system's origin is from Levi that and uh, one of the tribes, and it was mainly the descendants of Aaron that became this priests that would serve in the Levitical system. So there's a whole bunch of people here in the Levitical system. In the system of Melchizedek, there's only one. It's not a whole bunch, it's one person, this Melchizedek dude. And it's now said to us that Jesus, if you want to understand Jesus, you cannot think of him as a Levite and continue to relate the way you did to the Levitical system will not help you relate to Jesus because Jesus is not in that system. He's in this new system, okay? In function, they're different. The Levitical system offered sacrifices for the sins of the people, performed religious duties, and maintained the temple rituals. So this whole system was set up with tabernacles or temples, 
with rituals, with feasts, with special days, with offerings, that was all there to train a people on how to approach God, to bring back relationship with God. And it was done in a certain way. That was their function. The function of the system of Melchizedek is different. It is eternal and perfect, transcends the temporal and earthly limitations of the Levitical priesthood. Now, we'll, we'll unpack this a bit more, but one of the things you have to understand is this system, the Levitical system, was a system put in place on earth for a specific time and period. This system, which Jesus is now part of, is an eternal system. It existed before there was people. It exists now, and it will exist for eternity. And it has a different function, and we'll see what that different function is now. One of the main differences I've just referenced is the Levitical system is temporary. This priesthood was temporary and imperfect, as it could not bring about permanent forgiveness of sins. So the, the Levitical priesthood functioned in this way, that I'm a human being and I sin. So to deal with my sin that separates me from God, every so often I have to do a certain ritual, a certain cleansing, a certain sacrifice. And that ritual cleansing sacrifice would for a period of time restore me back to a space of I'm now good enough to be in God's presence. But it would fade away. It wouldn't last. So therefore there was daily sacrifices, there was weekly sacrifices, there were monthly sacrifices, there were annual rituals and sacrifices, there was daily washings, there was this whole system set up to teach us that we have fallen away from God, that we have failed, that we are sinners, and that our sin needs attention. It needs to be dealt with. And so these sacrifices, you know, you had to kill a dove, and then thousands and millions of animals was killed, and liters of water spent on washing this people all the time to say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. But it could only do so on a temporary basis. One of the challenges with this system is also even the priests that served and ministered in this system were sinners themselves and needed to sacrifice for themselves. So often, before the priest could sacrifice what you needed to forgive your sin, he would have to do the sacrifice or the washing for himself first. So it's like, can you see, this is a big deal. When we come to the order of Melchizedek, it is unchangeable. Immutable, this is a word for, that means unchangeable, and everlasting. It's not temporary in nature, it's eternal in nature. So this system has a time period where it was operating in. This system, which Jesus is part of, has always been, is now, and will always be. So there's a big difference. The Levitical system was law-based. The authority was based on the Mosaic law. So the Ten Commandments, plus if you're now reading in our Bible reading plan, you, know, you start getting into Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, and it's exciting stuff. And you read all these laws. And so you had this whole system set up with people 
that was there to understand the laws and then to interpret the laws. And by the time of Jesus, when Jesus came, there was the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees, there was the scribes, there was the lawyers, the teachers of the law, and they were all there to, to help people understand this system and how to function within this system and when it was a sin and what sacrifice was needed for the sin and how the sacrifice needed to be done. And, and this whole thing was set up to help people deal with their sin. So it was this system that was based on the Mosaic law. Now, Kizedek's order and system was not based on the Mosaic law. It was based on a higher law. It operates according to a higher law, emphasizing righteousness rather than mere compliance with rules. What the Old Testament law could do was it could help you change the way you acted and behaved. And it could get you to behave differently. But what it could not do was change your heart. It could not change the inner motivations of the heart. It could not change your desires. It curbed your desires. It limited. It brought about a people that didn't run wild and didn't continue to invent new ways to sin and be rebellious. It limited and curbed that. And it was very good and it was very useful for that purpose in that time to help just marshal and shepherd people's behavior to a better space. But it could never change the internal, the inner workings of people's hearts. It stopped people from acting out on all of their inner desires, but it didn't change the inner desires. The idea with this new system that is being introduced, why this system is an upgrade, it's moving from Android to Apple, it's better. Why this new system is better is not only can it change your behavior, it can actually change your insides. It changes your heart. It moves you to a different being. And that's why this new system operated on a higher law. The old system of the Levitical system had a limited reconciliation. Their role facilitated limited reconciliation between God and man. Like I said earlier, you did the sacrifice, you did the washing, then for a short period of time you were okay with God until you failed again and then you needed a new sacrifice and a new washing or however the cycles worked. This new order is, is built on a perfect high priest. The highest priest in this order is holy and undefiled. In this system, the priest sins himself. In this system, the priest doesn't sin. Never sins. So this priest doesn't have to make sacrifice for his own sin. And this priest has an extended authority. This priest in this order that operates in this order has the ability to help you gain a completely different heart. This system could limit corruption. This system can erase corruption, can set us free from corruption, can completely make us new. And this is the new covenant, and this is the old covenant. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to these people, and he's saying to them, why would you want to go back to the old system if you have become part of a new system. Why? Now, why would they? I mean, why would you? This is where the challenge comes in. Because remember, what was busy happening to them is they were beginning to experience more and more uh, 
discomfort because of being Christians. They were starting to suffer for their Christianity. And many of them now never saw Jesus firsthand. they second generation Christians. So they're starting to forget about who Jesus is and the difference Jesus made. They, they, they don't know how difficult things were. How hard life was. They've just sort of come into this. And so some of them are being like, this is too hard to be a Christian. I don't know if it's worth being a Christian. If I'm a Christian and, you know, if you haven't heard the story we read in our first week of our series, like Antonius, our friend, it says, my family doesn't want to speak to me anymore. I'm not invited to the birthday feasts anymore because they're all Jews and I'm a Christian. They, some, of, some of the people spit at me. They talk down upon me because I'm a Christian. I'm poor. I'm suffering because I'm a Christian. I can't get good work because the Christians are rejected by the Jews and by the Romans. And life is just, why should I stay a Christian? Why should I be a Christian? If I just go back to Judaism, which is still God, which is still, you know, being a good person, living a good life, not giving over to sin. If I go back there, then at least my family will accept me again. I probably will get a better job and life will just be a little easier for me. Now to these people, he writes and he says, why would you want to do that? You have got something so much better. So can you see, they're right in the midst of a missing the old system, forgetting how bad some of those things were and being tempted to be drawn back. So in Hebrews 5, verse 7, he writes the following. He says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of, the, of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now we've spoken about it before. Jesus was always the son of God. He didn't become the son of God at some point. Jesus incarnate on earth was 100% God, 100% man. Fully God, fully man at the same time. So I'm not going to talk about that again. But he says now. Jesus has entered into this order. Jesus was in this order in a sense of being a Jew. Not born as God into this order, but lived in this order. But he has moved into his rightful order. And I want you to see this is the order where Jesus is now proclaimed to be in this order. Now, if you understand it theologically, he was always in this order. Because he's the unchanging God who never changes. The same yesterday, today, forever. This order exists because of Jesus. He was this order before the creation, in the creation, and in the future he will be this order. But in some way he became this order. Why? Because he was a different human being than anybody else in this. And he references a special event that happened in the life of Jesus. What do you think he talks about when he says he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears of the one who could save him from death? What does that sound like? Which event does that sound like in the life of Jesus? Hey, the Garden of Gethsemane. What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why is the Garden of Gethsemane an important moment that he references here? Almost as a moment that where he says, if you understand what happened in that moment, you will understand that Jesus was not in the Levitical order. Jesus was in this order. 
What happened in the Garden of Eden? Jesus comes in his humanity. And in his humanity, he's feeling the pain building up. The pain that he's about to endure. There's levels to this pain or components of this pain. One hand, there's the physical pain of being tortured and beaten. Having your, your beat, back beaten so badly that you can see your lungs through the back. Having th- crowns of thorns shoved on your head. The embarrassment, the abuse, the spitting, the mocking, the jeering, the rejection. But even more painful than that, you know what he was feeling is, in his humanity, that he's about to be separated from his father. Not in his godliness, but in his humanity. He was about to experience something that no other man would fully experience. And that is, my God, my God, my Father, why have you forsaken me? Because all of our sin was to be dumped upon him. The Holy One. The perfect one. The pure one. That needs no sacrifice to be made on, for, on his behalf. Because he's perfect. All of our sin is to be dumped upon him, thrown upon him. All that misery and stench and brokenness and rebellion, everything that is not who he is, is dumped on him and it's poured upon him and to the point where in his humanity he's separated from the Father. And he's feeling all of that building up. And so there in this garden, he's on his knees and and he prays. He says, Father, if it is at all possible... Don't let this happen to me. But please, can this cup pass by me? Don't let me drink this bitter cup of physical pain, emotional pain, but ultimately separation. That was the thing that was the hardest. He said, I don't want to do this. But then he added a phrase. And if you've ever, the song we sang earlier, raised a hallelujah, this is the greatest hallelujah that was ever raised throughout human history. Not my will be done, but yours. Not my will. The Hebrew believers were facing danger, persecution, pain, suffering. And they are shrinking back and they want to turn. Jesus faces persecution, pain to a completely different level. And he says, I don't want to do this. But if this is what my father wants, I will do it. Do you see the difference? Because in his system, it's not merely an outward expression of love. It is a deeply internal expression of love. It is everything in my being depends on my relationship with my Father. This Jesus is not trying to appear like he pleases God. Not trying to figure out what is the least I can do so that God can be happy with me. Or what is, what is expected of me. This Jesus is saying, Father, whatever your will is, I will do it. And if it costs me my life, that's okay. Because everything in me is about you. That's why he is in the order of Melchizedek in this new system. Not in this old system. Now let me tell you, you may not be here today tempted to go back to to Judaism or being a Hebrew. Now, there are some Christians that I don't understand always why, but want to go back to the Levitical order. 
Now, when we read the Old Testament, as we're reading right now, there's fantastic, beautiful lessons and pictures that we learn from the Levitical order that talks to us about what Jesus is going to do. And it's, it's valuable to understand that. But that system was fulfilled when Jesus came and died and he said to, remember, he said to the disciples, I will turn, tear down this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. We don't live in a time with a temple where our focus is on that temple anymore. Our focus is on what temple? Where's our temple now? Here. This, this system of the order of Melchizedek is about changing me and changing me to become the temple of the Holy Spirit. This system is about creating a space where I can look like I'm part of this temple. But I'm still wrestling with the same problems. It limits it, but it's still there. So why would I as a Christian want to go back and begin to reinstitute some of these Levitical things? We have a fantastic ministry in our church, one of our pastor ministries, Emmet Ministries, which are Jewish people that has gone to know Jesus, and they're making this transition. They're walking from this Levitical system to the system of Melchizedek, and they've made that decision, and they walk with people, and they're helping them to understand what this new system is, how you live in this new system. And it's fantastic. It's brilliant. But every now and then, you'll speak to Manfred that leads that. He tells you how he meets Christians that are trying to go the other way. And he's like, Why? Why would you do that? Because this system is the per eternal system that you and I are now part of. But you may not be tempted to go back to Judaism, but you are still tempted on a daily basis to go back to this system. It may look a little different. Let me explain it like this. Okay. A Jesus-focused fixed upon Jesus Christianity is different, is a different system and a belief system than any other system you will find. It is unique. In fact, you can divide all other systems of religion, philosophy, um, way of life, however you want to, into two groups. And on the one side will be all the other belief systems, and on this side will be one belief system, Jesus-based Christianity. This one is unique. There's none like it. So if, you come, if, our, if you're part of our community and you come out of an Eastern religion background, let's say Hinduism or Buddhism, then you were part of this system. If you come out of a more materialistic philosophy or perhaps a, a form of Gnosticism or non-belief or atheism, you were part of this system. If you were a Sikh, you were part of this system. If you were a Muslim, you were part of this system. Because it takes on many different colors and structures and everything, but it's all trying to achieve the same thing on this side. Do you know what this system is trying to achieve? It's trying to make you good enough in your own strength so that you can relate to God. So every religion, every thought pattern, every philosophy may have different rules, but it's trying to achieve the same thing. It has a different definition of what it means to be good or good enough, and it helps you, and it teaches you, it gives you a system of what you must do so that in that belief system or religion or philosophy or whatever, that you know how to be good enough so that you can qualify for what this system says is good enough. So that's why every other thing is in this side. This side 
works on a completely different system. Because this side, Jesus-based Christianity says, you will never be good enough. You can't. Your problem is not just what you do, it's who you are. You have fallen. You are in a state of rebellion against God. And you can never change that or fix that. So Jesus didn't come with a new set of rules to say, I've got a better set of rules for you. He came to say, you can't do it. So I'm going to do it on your behalf. So that if you believe in me, you will receive grace from me. You will be forgiven and I will remake you and you will become, as the scripture says, born again. Like you were not born in this system, you are now born into this system. And from this moment on, you living a very different life. You are not trying to please God, earn brownie points, and doing things or not doing things because you're trying to look good enough or be good enough. Here you are in a state of, you are forgiven, you are my child. You are good enough. Why are we good enough? Not because the rules don't apply, but because in Jesus they've been fulfilled and I have met the standards. In fact, if you understand this, no matter how difficult these guys' rules are about being good enough, they're nothing compared to Jesus' rules. Jesus has far more difficult rules. Because Jesus said, even if you think it, you're guilty of it. These guys say, you know, just don't act on it. Don't, don't, don't do it. Then nobody knows. Yeah, Jesus says, I know what you think. And that's a problem. That needs to change. But I have the power to change that. I was, Thursday evening, I had an opportunity to testify, to share my faith with somebody. A person I've been building a relationship with. And uh, they're basically in a space where they said, I've tried everything of Christianity, from Catholicism to Protestant, uh, uh, Pentecostalism in its bizarre. I've tried everything and I'm fed up with church and church leaders and church people because they all pretend to be something that they're not. And I said to him, I agree with you 100%. People that try to be something that they can't be, they disappoint me all the time also. And that's why I'm so glad I found Jesus. Because in Jesus, I'm not trying to be something that I'm not. I'm actually recognizing who I am. I've humbled myself. Now, I shared this a bit different with him, but I humbled myself and recognized I can't be. See, that's what pride is. The greatest sin is pride, and pride is what makes this possible. Pride says, I can do it. I don't need God. I can be good enough. Humility is on this side. This system runs on humility where it says, I cannot do it. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And that begins to change me. There are things that I do and don't do because I'm a Christian. Not because it's an external law, but it because it's an internal transformation. Because I give my life to Jesus, He begins to change my desires, my viewpoint, my everything internally changes. And there are certain things I just am not interested in anymore. I still have certain other things that I shouldn't be interested in, and therefore I, the Holy Spirit helps me, and I, I deal with those things. But He fundamentally changes me. This unchangeable Jesus changes me. This changeable law can't change you. Cannot make you different. 
And that's the difference, the key difference between these two systems. So I want to say to you, why would you go back to a system? And now let me tell you, this is part of the challenge. Sometimes we build churches that talk about Jesus, but behave like Levitical priests. Because can I tell you, what is a disciple? A disciple is a person that comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I give you everything. Change me, Lord, wholesale. Make, we actually, as a disciple, believe we can be different people because of the power of Jesus. In this system, do you know what a disciple looks like? What are the rules? Where must I be? When must I be there? So that everybody thinks that I'm a, I'm a Christian. What do I wear? What don't I wear? So that everybody thinks I'm a Christian. What do I say? What don't I say? So that everybody thinks I'm a Christian. Which places am I allowed to go to and which places aren't I allowed to go to? How much alcohol can I drink and how much alcohol can I not drink? Tell me the line. When is it sex before marriage and when is it just fraying? What is a good English word for fraying? Hey, help me. Now you all act all innocent here in the other. I don't know what fraying is. Hey, making out. Netflix and chill, or what do they call it? Hey, praise the Lord. Hey, isn't that what the Christians do? How far can I go before I'm breaking the law? That's what discipleship here looks like. So we go to a church that helps us put a system around us so that we can think I'm acting the way Jesus wants me to because the church tells me this is the way to act. A disciple of Jesus says, not how close do I get to the law before I break it. It's, Lord Jesus, Father, not my will be done, but your will. I want to be in the center of your will. Teach me your will. And I know I don't want to do your will always. Therefore, I give you my heart. Change me, Lord. This system limits corruption. This system erases corruption, my corruption. Treats me very differently. And that's what the author of the book of Hebrews is talking about. Now, I need to land this airplane. But an interesting thing happens. So here he talks about Jesus facing suffering and not shrinking back. And now he, he's like just talking about Jesus very nicely. And then he changes tack. Like here you'll see in Hebrews 5.11. He takes on the, the position of a pastoral parent that needs to correct his children. And listen to what he says to these dear Christians. He says the following. We have much to say about this, to talk about this new system and about this Jesus that didn't shrink back from suffering. I have a lot to say about this. But it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still in an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. He's like, listen guys, I want to talk more about this, but I'm wasting my breath because all you want to do is order off the kiddies menu. None of you want to cut the steak, you just want the milk. And I think that's something we have to recognize because we have that problem. 
You see, to be a Christian is to consistently grow to a space of going deeper with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying closer because I, I want to draw a distinction. When I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus, I was about eight years old. And I prayed a prayer. I said, Lord, I give you my heart and I want you to be my Savior. Now, can I be honest with you what motivated me to pray that prayer? Pictures of hell at that point. I just didn't. I knew enough to know that's not a place I want to go to. I mean, this stage can get pretty hot and I'm like sweating all the time, but hell, man, I didn't want to go there. So thank you, Jesus. I don't have to go to hell. And that's as close as I got at that time. And do you know that's okay? Because I, that's what I could do. And when I left school and started Year of Your Life, I got closer to the Lord because I could get closer to the Lord. You couldn't expect me to be close to the Lord then as I am here. Because it's just not possible. So that's why I want to use the word deeper perhaps. And, and I think you can apply the same logic, but I have to find a lingu linguistic way to explain it. The Lord is consistently inviting me to go deeper with Him. The challenge is when I'm 20 years old and should be able to go deep enough as a 20-year-old can, but I still want to stay in the kiddies' pool and be the big guy swimming with the five-year-olds and have my flarkies and like... Why do I need to put myself at risk over there? Why do I need to struggle and possibly drown over there if I can just stay here and be, you know? Why do I have to eat the meat here that's difficult if I can just order off the kiddies menu? Just give me some tippies and viennas, please. <laughs> he says to them, stop ordering off the kiddies menu. Stop swimming in the little swimming pool. You're supposed to be now teaching other people. Now there's a scary thought. Let me apply this to you, lovely person. Do you know that there's a point in your Christianity where you have to teach others what it means to be a Christian? It is not for me to do, for people on stage. This is the work of the fivefold ministry equipped the saints for their works of service. You are supposed to live the faith to a point where you can actually teach it to somebody else. So if you haven't had that opportunity, can I ask you, pray. Say, Lord, help me teach my faith to others. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to understand everything. But I need to pass this on. Okay. Because sometimes that's the test of what do you really know. Is what you can teach. He says to them, stop being the Christian that just wants a little bit of Christianity enough so that you feel okay. Can I invite you to venture into the deeper waters of the faith? Do you know what the challenge of the deeper waters is? Is that's where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. The deeper waters of the faith is a bit scary because it's the place where you get to know who God is and sometimes that involves suffering. What is suffering? And, and I don't have time today, but studies have been done. And they show there's a, there's a Christianity that many people grow to. So sort of the first three stages of Christianity. And many Christians are in this stage and struggle to actually move beyond this to the fourth, fifth, and sixth stage of Christianity. I'll talk about it in the future. And between the first three stages, which is quite self-focused, it's about what Jesus does for me, how Jesus helps me, how Jesus saves me, how Jesus answers my prayer, you know, and, it's, and that's where we start. We all start there. I started there. Sometimes I'm still there. That's fine. But I want to move beyond that. 
The difference from moving from this really self-focused kind of Christianity to a completely God-focused Christianity is they, they call it the wall in the middle. And the wall is often the points of struggle. It's where the Christian comes up to the space where suddenly they face a conflict, a loss, a trauma, or just a difficult time. The prayers aren't being answered. Church doesn't feel so exciting anymore. The worship songs, I, they just don't do it for me. I'm reading my Bible, but it feels like, you know, there's nothing happening. I'm praying, but I don't feel God's presence. Any long-standing believers? Is what I'm saying, is it just me? Please give me hope. You know? Where you've been a long-standing believer and you go, I cannot go to church again and hear another sermon. I need, there has to be more. Now, I'm not saying that's a good excuse. I'm just saying sometimes that's where we get to. We hit that wall. And that's the point where Jesus was. I don't want to do this. But if this is what you want, I'll, I'll go deeper. I'll go further. Where we actually as a Christian begin to say, okay, Lord, take this journey in deeper. Do you know who's the most scary person in the world? Who is the scariest person you'll ever encounter? It's you. If you truly come to face to face with yourself, stop covering up, coloring up, covering with fig leaves, finding excuses for your real inner motives. You become, a, I'm like, you, we avoid that. Give me another nice worship song so I don't have to look myself in the eyes. But there's a time where Jesus starts saying, now I need to take you deeper. Because this new system is not about your outward change. It is really about changing you to become more like me. And that, my friends, happen because you stick to it. You do not get afraid when the times of difficulty comes your way. Many Christians don't go. They stay here at one, two, and three. You know what they do? When they get to stage three and they start feeling like, I need something more. They think, I'm going to change church. I'm going to go to another church. Because then at least it feels new. And that's okay. But you know what most of the time happens? Is they just start at one again and build to where to three. And then when they get to three, they go, I need another church. And off they go to another church. Instead of saying, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. So may we be people, and I'll talk more about this down the line. That says, Lord, I, I want to I go all the way with you. I want to know you. Thank you, Jesus. Let me not shrink back and go back into some Levitical order, some external expression of trying to behave like I'm good enough. Change me, Lord. And thank you, Jesus, that that system can't do it, but you can. You can really change me. And you have really changed me. You're busy really changing me, and you will continue to really change me. I will become a new creation, a brand new man. Old things have passed away. Behold, I am born again. Born again is not just I'm praying to a different God. It's I've come into a whole new system of belief. Paul says, I count it all as rubbish. He says, all of this is rubbish. It's garbage. I want nothing to do with it. Every good credential, every respect I got because I was the Jew of the Jews. I was on the top of the tree of this system. I knew how to work this system. I perfected this system and it got me a lot of honor and respect and people thought I was so great and good and everything. I says, it's all rubbish. It's not even getting me off the ground in this system. 
So I'm not going to spend any time wasting energy trying to do that. I'm doing this now. I'm with Jesus, the unchangeable God, who was God from the beginning, the creator, the sustainer, the fulfiller of everything, the only one that can change me. Won't you stand with me? That's about half the sermon that I had, so praise the Lord. But if I don't stop now, then some of you are going to start throwing stuff at me, so, which would be okay. I would understand it completely. I don't know about you, but I just don't want to be in that space where somebody has to come up to me and say, stop swimming in the shallow end. There's so much more. Stop eating off the kiddies' menu. Jesus died for you. Have the courage. Have the boldness. Have the strength to say, Lord, I want to go further with you. Are you like me in that? If you are, just raise your hand because I can't do it. I can't do it for you. I can't even do it for myself. All I can do is humble myself and call upon the name of Jesus and say, Holy Spirit, come. I need you. Holy Spirit, Thank you that you are my teacher. I come to you. So frustrated with myself. So disillusioned with myself. When I try and do good, I just mess up, Lord. Sometimes get a little right, but I get it so much. And even the stuff I get right is never, it's never going to do it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me for wanting to live in the Levitical order because it gives me respect, it gives me self-worth, it gives me a sense of achievement, it gives me a sense of I'm good enough, look what I've done, forgive me Lord. And I come like that publican and I beat my chest and I say forgive me for I'm a sinner. And thank you Jesus that right there you meet me and you say you are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that you take us further. We will not stay with the elementary stuff, but we will go deeper with you. Not because we want to be better than anybody, but because we want to follow you, Jesus. So I pray for anybody here today in this crowd and those that are joining us online and on the radio. I pray, Lord, for freedom in Jesus' name. Because with this old Levitical system comes fear, comes rejection, comes condemnation. And Lord, any person here that's struggling under that, I break the power of that today in Jesus' name and say that you do not have to struggle with that in Jesus' name. And Lord, I speak a spirit of freedom it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We thank you for this freedom we have. Freedom to live with you. To be transformed and changed by you. To really change. Because we're free to change. Not because we are pressured to change. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I speak that freedom over every person here today. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you've... Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your word, Lord. If you are still trying to approach God from this system, whether that is self-made Christianity or whether that is some other form of thought or religion or philosophy, you've never come and humbled yourself before Jesus. Can I say today you can do that? Just come to the front at the end of the service. Our team will pray with you and help you with that. If you have any other need, you're so welcome to join us. For those of you that are online, please say, send an email to pray for me at Hatfield. And we'd love to connect with you and pray that way. Please remember to meet Pastor Seth in the foyer, uh, in Cop, uh, where are we, foyer hall? Foyer hall for new members, if you want to find out about our church. And Kopenong is the hall just up there to my left if you want to join for just finding more about from Open Doors and just the persecuted church. May the Lord bless you. We love you. And it's an honor to be part of this amazing community. Have a wonderful week.